This podcast is brought to you by Fear Free, the initiative that takes the pet out of petrified and puts treat into treatment. Learn more at fearfreepets.com. All right, greetings, everybody. This is Alex Jimenez, your host of the Fear Free podcast series. In today's episode, we help answer a question that many of our certified professionals have had over the past year. That question is, what is the role that Fear Free plays into emergency, critical care, and internal medicine? To help answer this, we have with us two of the most renowned board-certified veterinarians in these respective fields. Dr. Alice Wolf, who is a board-certified veterinarian in internal medicine, and Dr. Tony Johnson, a board-certified veterinarian in emergency and critical care. Both are highly sought-after speakers at the conference and university level, consultants for the Veterinary Information Network, and have received numerous accolades throughout their career. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Thanks, Alex. It's great to be here. Yes, I really appreciate the invitation. Look forward to talking to all the folks who are listening in today. So I wanted to get us going by simply asking, how is Fear Free different when it applies to these fields? Well, in the ER and in the ICU, that's kind of a scary environment to be in. And so these patients are already under an amazing amount of of stress and, and fear. And I always likened a trip to the ER to um, uh, like being kidnapped by aliens because you're you know you're in your home, your, your folks put you in the carrier, bumpy car ride, and you're probably not feeling so great to begin with. So anytime you have a patient who you can keep them calm, you can limit the anxiety. Not only is that going to be good for them physically, but it's going to make the whole experience less stressful than it is to to begin with. Right. Dr. Wolf, what are your thoughts? Another portion of that, of course, is that the owner is very upset about the condition of their pet, and they're under a lot of stress because they're so concerned. They are also coming to a place many times where they have no relationship whatsoever with the clinician who's going to be taking care of their pet. People usually have a lot of trust in the veterinarian that they've been seeing for years, and they know a lot about how they're going to act with their pet and how their pet will behave in that setting. And in this situation, it's all new, not just for the pet, but also uh, for for the client and the relationship that the client has with the doctor they're seeing in the ER. That's interesting. So both of you kind of touched on this point of there being a lack of doctor-client bond when you're in these situations, which is a really important part of the fundamental aspects of Fear Free. So how do you overcome that? Well, it's very helpful, at least in the referral setting, which is where I see patients more than as an emergency, to have a lot of good information from the referring veterinarian and hopefully having talked to him or her before the pet arrives. And that way I have a notion what to expect both from the client and the patient, and I know what the client is understanding about the problem before they get there. Uh, Once they arrive, I want to make sure that I go and greet the client if they have to wait for a little while. As you know, the referral practice is busy, just like an emergency practice, but they get greeted as soon as they're there. Someone talks to them. If I'm busy with another patient, I'll have one of the techs or reception staff reassure the client that we'll be with them shortly if they have to wait. Uh, Make sure that the pet is 
create this comfortable and in a place that is hopefully reasonably quiet. If there's a lot of commotion in the waiting room, try to get them. We have a, a quiet room so or two where clients can go. And that is particularly important for cats that tend to get a lot more concerned and worried in a busy and unfamiliar environment. So once we've talked to the client, we get things established, uh, then we'll proceed with our physical exam. And, and the sorts of fear-free techniques that we would use during that examination then would be much like could be used and should be used in any other veterinary practice. So, Tony, how are things different for you? Well, you know, in the in the ER, I guess anywhere, you always hear that people look like their pets or pets look like their people. And there's a, you know, there's a linkage between the stress level of the owner and what the pet picks up on and vice versa. You know, if somebody senses their pet is in pain in the ER or at a referral place, their anxiety level goes up. Or if they think, uh, you know, their pet is, is going bonkers in the back, um, you know, it, it, it's a really common scenario that somebody will hear a dog barking in the back room when they're in a waiting room and they think it's their dog, even though it, it may not be. So the, the stress gets to sort of be passed back and forth between the pet and the owner a lot. So I think anything you can do to decrease stress on one side will aid the other. Um, in terms of kind of establishing that rapport with an owner in the ER or in a referral situation where you're not their family vet, you may have never met them before and you have to sort of slam dunk getting them to trust you quickly, um, I think making sure that they are not waiting in a room forever, you know, five minutes in an exam room, you know this from waiting from, from your doctor, five minutes in an exam room seems like an eternity. So making sure they're attended to quickly, making sure the pet is attended to um, quickly, I think acknowledging everybody who's in the room and acknowledging the, the pet and sort of introducing yourself to the patient as well as to the owners uh, is important. So I think there's a lot of, of fear-free practices you can do that help uh, form that bond quickly. Right. So I kind of want to dovetail off that subject a little bit. And you both talked about how that fear, anxiety, and stress can kind of bounce back and forth and feed off each other between the owner and the patient. So I'm wondering in terms of specific tactics, how do you address that? And I know Dr. Wolf. You have a very interesting definition of stress versus distress in the patients. So maybe you could start. This is a concept I took away from a very excellent talk I heard at the AAFP meeting. Because when you talk about stress, there are several different kinds of stress. So I think that the definition gets a little muddled. But of course, there is emotional stress. There's physical stress. Uh, and I think a better term might be distress. And what we see when we look at the pet, and sometimes at the owner, is not necessarily seeing, quote, stress. What we're seeing is distress, the upset uh, that comes with any of those types of stress. So anything we can do to alleviate those things will be helpful to the pet, and as well to the client. For example, I think Tony would probably see this more in his situation, but if we have an animal that comes in and it's in extreme pain, it's crying every time it tries to move, um, it, it's obviously very, very painful. 
one thing that we can do is get pain meds into that pet as quickly as possible to try to reduce the level of discomfort that it's in. And then that's going to make the client feel better about how we're managing the animal. And the other techniques that we use are just we try to uh, get that animal, that pet, along with the client, as Tony said, uh, get them care as quickly as possible and try to use the fear-free techniques because that will not only make that pet more comfortable, but it will also reassure the client that we care about their pet and that we want to treat it as if it is our own. And I think if I can follow up on that, Alice, you know, just like we've said that stress and distress are infectious from owner to parent, I think being calm and being fear-free can also be infectious the other way. So if the clinician is, you know, not lackadaisical or complacent, but calm and confident and empathetic, I think that also affects the, the owner's demeanor. If you're like, okay, we're dealing with somebody who maybe this is a tough situation, but they seem calm and somewhat confident about how it's going to go, then they calm down. And then I think in turn, the pet calms down. And that comment about rapid pain control for me in the ER is, is really vital because there's lots of times where we may see a patient who's very gravely injured and, you know, maybe it's somebody who isn't going to go uh, the, the full length. Maybe they don't have the financial resources, but one of the few things that I'll do really before getting authorization for anything uh, for medical care is give a dose of pain medication. Cause I, I feel I have an ethical um, mandate to do that. And then when you take that to the owner and say, look, you know, we, I know you haven't authorized x-rays or blood work or really anything, but I have already given your, uh, you know, pet that just got hit by a car, some pain medication. I think they see that we've, we've addressed uh, an important need first and that there's a kind of an ethical underpinning to what we do. Right. And that ethical component is so important to fear free. But something else I wanted to talk about, which I think not everybody might recognize, is that there's a medical and scientific component to that. So I'm wondering, Dr. Johnson, maybe we could start with you. Can you talk a little bit about how when you're implementing fear-free tactics and attempting to reduce fear, anxiety, and stress or distress, as Dr. Wolf put it, how does that impact diagnostics or the actual exams? or the work that you get done when you're trying to treat a patient in this sense? Well, you know, if we have a, a patient who is approachable, who is manageable, who is tractable, and I feel safe going up to it and doing a full physical or with gentle restraint to get blood work, I'm going to be able to get the samples I need to diagnose what's going on. And my staff does as well. You know, one of, one of our most important jobs as veterinarians is to ensure the safety not only of ourselves and our patients, but of our staff. And uh, if they, you know, feel like this is a patient who is calm, um, you know, who's used to gentle restraint for blood draws and for x-rays and diagnostic procedures, it's no big deal. And it's done uh, slowly, calmly and gently, then they'll submit to it and I'll be able to, to get answers that I can then take back to um, the owners and help them make decisions, which is, which is what it's all about. Alice, what do you think on that? 
Uh, I think all those points are great. And also, an animal that is distressed, that is struggling when you're trying to collect blood, you know, you're going to get the adrenaline surge, and you probably already have some since it's been in the hospital, then that may change some of the laboratory parameters that we see. The, in the dog particularly, the spleen will tend to contract, which might run the pet cell volume up higher than it would be otherwise. Um, we, we're going to see... a some cortisol coming out, probably that in the immediate situation doesn't change our parameters too much, but after the pet's been there for a few hours, uh, if we get our blood at that point, we may see some changes in liver enzymes. One of the things that we may want to do in assessing cats particularly, but of course also dogs, and if we have patients in intensive care that have a some disease that we're concerned about hypertension, we'll want to check blood pressures, or if they're hypotensive, we'll want to check blood pressures. In cats, we often, uh, if the animal's not critical, just during a, a routine visit where perhaps we're seeing the patient on referral for renal failure or perhaps hyperthyroidism, we need to check blood pressure. We have a quiet room, and we'll send the client up to the quiet room with their pet, let them just sit there quietly for five or ten minutes, let the animal wander around the room, and then we'll send one of our technicians up who's very skilled with our blood pressure equipment. We use a Doppler, and we have a headset for it, so it's not making a lot of noise, and just have that cat sit on the owner's lap, and we'll very quietly sneak up to it, get the cuff on, and we can get a much more accurate blood pressure in a cat that's sitting quietly and is happy in this quiet room versus struggling with it in the exam room or taking it away from the owner where it's scared because in, in such an unfamiliar environment. So those sorts of things, uh, using fear-free technique will really help us a lot. I think if I can if I can add to, to what Alice said, that's a great point because, you know, not only is it a question of being able to get the sample, so take the x-ray, draw the blood that you can do easier on a patient that's fear-free, but how does fear actually change those results? So that's not something that I had been thinking of. So that's a, that's a great point. Right. And it sounds like, if I'm understanding correctly, that could have other implications in terms of how you actually end up treating the pet. Sure. I'm sure more than one patient has been started on insulin for high blood sugar that was just due to the stress of the hospital visit. And I'm certain that's happened. Interesting. Now, we've talked a lot about uh, leading up to the appointment, what happens during the appointment, how some of these things apply. Where does Fear Free fit in when it comes to post-op or in a situation like in the intensive care unit where the pets spend a lot of time? Um, for our intensive care unit, we have developed a separate area for cats because they do need to be handled so differently during an intensive care experience than, than dogs. And being in an area where they're barking dogs or crying dogs is very distressful for them. So now we have a special area for our cats that's much quieter. We have lots of comfortable bedding for them. We provide them with a place that they can hide. That's particularly important for very ill animals if they want to withdraw. But at the same time, they still are highly visible to our staff. So uh, 
if they need to be under observation, they certainly can be. And we try to make sure that the client is comfortable with their pet's experience. So assuming that the ICU is uh, during a, a pretty quiet time, we allow owner visitations and when that pet is admitted and when we're taking it back to the ICU, we'll frequently take the client back, show them where their pet will be so that they will feel confident in the management of their pet while it's in our care. Yeah, and, and cat owners, I think, absolutely love that extra thought that goes into, you know, my cat doesn't have to sit above the chihuahua that's barking constantly while it's, you know, recovering from surgery. I think the fact that it can be, you know, they know that cats tend to, to be a little bit quiet when they're not feeling well and, and solitary, and they don't need that constant stress and strain um, of that environment to add to whatever is, is going on. And, you know, a lot of times in ICU, we have patients that are recovering from surgery. And the worst thing you could do is come out of anesthesia in a loud, noisy, bright, cold environment on, you know, hard linoleum. So having an area for recovery that is darker, quieter, you know, soft voices are used. They've got soft bedding, I think really makes the, the emergence from anesthesia along with, you know, appropriate sedation and, and pain control um, really, really smoother for, for everybody. And I think that translates into how well they recover from, um, from surgery. And I've, you know, I've had a few patients that are really critical kind of on a razor's edge and need some invasive diagnostics. I, I recall one dog that had a gastrointestinal bleed and we wanted to, to put a scope down into the dog's uh, stomach and, and upper intestinal tract but the dog was was too unstable for anesthesia, and we were able with just uh, you know I, I joked at the time that it was sort of like a date because we had low lights, we had a little soft music playing, we had closed the procedure room, everybody sort of you know uh, spoke very quietly and softly, and with just a little bit of uh, sedation and pain control, we were able to put a scope down and see what was going on rather than full on um, anesthesia. So I think that kind of speaks back to again, you know, diagnostics and uh, just how smoothly it, it can go. Right. So actually, on that note, I always like to wrap up these calls with either a take-home tip for our listeners, something very snackable, digestible, that will help what we talked about today hit home, or uh, another really good case study or story, kind of like you just shared, Dr. Johnson. So, Dr. Wolf, uh, why don't we start with you? Sure. Uh, I think that probably... For cats, the number one rule always is less is more. So less restraint, um, less noise, less handling, all of those things make a cat less distressed. So we do try to do everything as quietly, as carefully, gently as we possibly can. Yeah. Tony, what's your, your tip of the day? That, you know, that less is more idea really is golden and should be, uh, you know, made, made more widely aware because it, it is a diminishing point, you know, the more restraint you use, I think the harder it is. And I, I had an example in the ER a couple of weeks ago of a really large sort of mastiff dog. He got, had to be pushing 200 pounds, very strong dog. And the ER doctor was also 
this just huge uh, guy, you know, very sort of macho and, and wanted to overpower the dog to get done what he needed to do. I can't remember if it was soap, a laceration or draw blood or something like that. And it turned, it descent. I was there kind of overseeing the ICU and kind of before I could intervene, it turned into this rodeo with this guy trying to manhandle this, this dog and the dog reared back its huge head and broke the doctor's nose, sent him to the ER himself. And there had been another ER doctor. So, you know, we have one ER doctor who now is out of commission, busy day. I got one ER doctor who had to leave. The other one who stepped in was, I don't know, 90 pounds soaking wet was no way she was going to physically match up to this dog. And she said, you know what, after what just happened, why don't we move this dog, let it chill, let it, you know, kind of cool its heels. We'll give him some sedation by injection and was able to do exactly what the other guy wanted to accomplish with sedation and quiet and pain control and a calm demeanor without having to boss it over the dog and ended up with, you know, end up with a, with a broken face. So I think right there, that was just the clear dichotomy between, you know, brutality and what you can accomplish with these techniques. Wow. Yep. Broken face versus happy, treatable patient. That is a very good example of the dichotomy that exists. And that's, you know, all jokes aside, that's what we're here trying to do is show people that there are other ways of going about it. And those ways can be better for the doctor, better for the owner, and ultimately better for the pet, which is what we're all in this for. So thank you both again for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking the time to come on and everything that you were able to share with us today. We appreciate all that you, Marty, and everyone associated with the Fear Free team is doing to bring recognition of how we can better take care of our pets by taking care of their distress. So we appreciate all you do. Glad to be here today. Yeah, thanks. Thanks very much, Alex. I appreciate it. Alice, it's always a pleasure being on with you. And I think it's great to help spread the message of Fear Free and what it can accomplish for our patients and our uh, and our colleagues. Indeed. Thank you also to our listeners who tuned in today. For those of you who are not certified, please check out fearfreepets.com to learn more if you liked what you heard today. And for those that are certified, uh, we hope that this answered some of your questions and gave you another perspective on how Fear Free can apply in some different settings. Also note that we will have an ER and critical care webinar coming out in the coming months, so stay tuned for more details on that, and we hope you tune in next time. Thanks.